welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Hey guys, Rick Roberts here. Thanks again for listening to the School of Last podcast, the podcast that is designed 100% to help you on your comedy journey. And one of the ways I like to do that is to interview comedians who are out there actually doing things the right way and doing it at a high level. And that's who I've got on the show today with me. It's Dan Swartout. You might know him as Swarty, and he's a great friend of mine, uh, a comic that I met when I first started in Columbus, Ohio. Actually, I was, I was a few years ahead of him, but I happen to be, as I learned, at his very first open mic, and now, almost 20 years later, he's performed all over the country. He's a great guy. We talk about the importance of emceeing and hosting skills, how to deal with hecklers, what to do when a show isn't going well, talk about merchandise trends, finding your voice, all kinds of good stuff. So check out the interview here in just a second. Before I get to that, though, I've got a couple of announcements. One, upcoming classes, School of Last, that I want to tell you about. If you're in the Nashville area and you're listening to this on the release date, this Sunday, March 20th, I'm going to put on a business of comedy class at the headquarters at School of Laughs in the Hermitage just outside of Nashville. It'll go from 1 to 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And in this three-hour period, I'm going to tell you all about what comics make, the different niche markets that are available to you as you start out and perform stand-up comedy, how to focus your efforts with your marketing and your promo. I'll talk about what to include on your taxes. I'll talk about strategic use of social media and some different tools and techniques I use to get work. All kinds of stuff, a deep dive, three hours. I'll stay there for five if you've still got questions and answer everything I can for you. Uh, you'll walk away with a handbook. It's kind of a it's kind of a roadmap to the business of comedy. It, it'll have way more than you need to know right now. But I've had former students tell me they refer back to this thing five, six years down the road and still find out some information they can put into you. So it's a very deep dive. It's ninety nine dollars. It's Sunday, March twentieth, one to four. If that interests you at all, or you'd like to know more information about it, just hit me up at schooloflaughs at gmail dot com. Put business class in the subject line, and I'll get back to you and tell you more about it. Also, I'd like to tell you about an upcoming show that you are invited to attend. One of my rare open-to-the-public shows. Uh, Usually I'm doing a corporate event or a private thing, but this is going to be in Columbus, Indiana on April 9th. That's a Saturday. Show starts at 8. Uh, The doors open at 6.30. They've got a meal included with a ticket price. It kicks off at 7, and then I'll go on about 8 o'clock. So if you want to check that out, go to uh, Simmons Winery. Dot com. That's S-I-M-M-O-N-S-W-I-N-E-R-Y.com and find out more about it. You can call the winery and ask about tickets at 812-546-0091. That's the Simmons Winery in Columbus, Indiana on April 9th. Very cool. So I can't wait to do that. Hope to meet some of you guys out there. And lastly, I'd like to get to a quick iTunes review before we kick off the episode. This iTunes review comes in from Randy Miller. Randy, you might remember from our Personality Traits podcast a while back. He's Gavin's dad and also a great speaker as well. He says, Rick, your episode with Chris Cherry was excellent. As a trainer and speaker, I found your encouragement along with the premise and title development inspiring. 
I immediately began thinking of a variety of applications for my speaking and training business thanks to the time and energy you and Gavin put into making your podcast so effective and entertaining. Hey, thanks, Randy. I'm, I'm glad that you're not only a guest on the show and Gavin's dad, but I'm also glad you listen and find some takeaways. Uh, that was a very inspiring episode for me as well. I kind of got fired up in that episode and maybe uh, took it over and, and, and put Chris in a spot that he hadn't thought about before. But I wanted to challenge him to use his skills that he has as not only a mentor, but a comedian and combine those things. There's a lot of work out there for a guy like that and a guy like you, it sounds like. So keep it up, Randy. Thanks for listening. And I hope you're enjoying being a new grandpa. Speaking of Gavin, uh, some of you guys have asked where he's at. He had a baby a little while back, beautiful little girl. And until that baby learns how to sleep, I'm going to let Gavin have some space and just enjoy his time with that newborn. But once he gets uh, things settled into more of a groove, I'm definitely going to have him back on the podcast. And that'll be a lot of fun and a lot of catching up. All right, let's get to this episode with Dan Swartout. I know you're going to enjoy it. Talk to you on the other side. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Dan Swartout. Dan, how's it going, buddy? Very good, Rick. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Dan is one of these guys who, when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, I think I'd started a little bit before you, and then you started popping up at these open mics and things and started taking off, and now you're doing extremely well. So I want to let, let everybody know about Dan Swarty Swartout and uh, take your story back from the very beginning to kind of where it is right now. You are actually, Rick, you are actually at my very first open mic. The first one the ever. The very first open mic I ever did, and I tell this story a lot, that uh, you, at the very first open mic I ever did, there was like a clap off at the end, and the winner of the open mic, the winner of the clap off got $50. Sweet. Not bad money. Not bad. Not bad. So I was in it. I was in it. I was in the open mic. You came in. You won. I mean, you'd you'd been on the road already. You'd already okay. established yourself. You were, you know, people knew that you were a good, solid working comic. So you come in, you win the open mic on my very first open mic. You win the fifty dollars, and what you did is you took the fifty dollars, <laughs> split it up, split it, split it up. So I got ten dollars from you at my very first open mic, and I thought, wow, comedians are the coolest people ever. <laughs> uh, this is so awesome. It has never in all <laughs> my time as a comedian never happened again. But that first time you split it up, I'm like, comedians are the best. Oh, man. And then it never happened again. But I tell that story a lot because I think that's just a funny story. I probably I probably felt bad that I was like been on the road and was coming right. to do an open mic. And I'm like, I, I just want to stage time, I bet. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. I mean... what You know what year that was? It would have been April of 1997. Okay, so I would have been doing it for about six years. Yeah, April point. of 1997. It was uh, at the Bogey Inn. Yes, I remember the Bogey Inn. They mm -hmm. had like that side room mm -hmm. in the back. Robert Holmes, formerly known as the bad boy of Columbus Comedy, <laughs> right. ran that uh, open mic, and it was a $50 win, and you came in, slid in. Swooped down on the won 50. Won that 50 bucks, showered <laughs> us all with cash and your generosity, and made me think on my first night, comedians are the greatest people on earth. That is hilarious. <laughs> I do kind of remember that. I remember that 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 gig. Yeah. And because uh, for me, it was it was like in a little weird part of town, like it was off. It wasn't in downtown Columbus. It was like Worthington or something. Or? Out, 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 a little, a little west of Powell, out near the Columbus Zoo. Yeah, that was. Uh, I don't know why I chose that one, but because it wasn't that close to me, it was far. Yeah. But that's the one I did, and that's the one that kind of hooked me right off the bat. Did you have any friends come out to see you on that one? Uh, my, 
<laughs> it's kind of a funny story. My current wife came. Okay. My current wife, who at the time Hold was, on, time out. You've only had one wife, right? Yes, but there's a, but there's a reason okay. I, I, I say current wife. <laughs> okay. Because she's my current wife, but at the time of that open mic, she was my ex-girlfriend. Ah. That's why I say current wife, because we had broken up. Uh, I remember, actually, I kind of remember those times. Yes, we had broken up, um, and she came as my ex-girlfriend to the show. We got back together a little later on, and I'm happy to report, just last month, we celebrated our 14-year wedding anniversary. So, but at the time, she was my ex-girlfriend. Wow, we've been married the same amount of time. Yeah, pretty much. I didn't realize that. Pretty much. But I do kind of remember... After that, we must have hung out a little bit because the breakup still lasted several... It lasted a few more months. We yeah. got back together a few months later on. Yeah, happy to report 14 years of wonderful marriage to an amazing, supportive woman. So It takes that to do comedy, too, doesn't it? It does. It does, you know, because you are on the road and you're not always home and sometimes you're missing big events right you know sometimes you're missing a valentine's day sometimes you're missing an anniversary sometimes well a lot of times you miss very good friends weddings yeah you miss a lot of stuff so you definitely need a a strong supportive understanding spouse and i boy have i been lucky yeah you and me both you know what's funny? Absolutely. Sometimes after a show, and my show's all about my family. Right. I tell them where I live, my family. I got two kids, been married for 14 years. I'll get somebody who comes after the show almost every show. So, does your wife ever travel with you? <laughs> no, she's home with the kids. You got kids? Yes. I had about seven minutes of material about my kids. Thanks for zoning out. Where do you live? That was the first four minutes of my show. I live in Nashville, Tennessee with my family and kids and wife that you're asking if she travels with me. Do you travel with your own brain? Were you paying attention to anything? Were you even at the show? Did you just walk in right now? <laughs> I have no idea why so many people assume that everything you talk about is completely made up. Yeah. And it's like the best comedy comes from truth. So if I am inventing this fictional world that I supposedly live in, <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't under... But I get asked that a lot, too, you know, because I do all sorts of jokes. Most of my... Most of my show is reality based on my experiences, my family. And they're like, is, is that is that really, really the case? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's really the case. I invented the struggle for your amusement. <laughs> what, give me a couple of examples of things. You don't have to do the, the bit or the joke, but things you talk about in your show that are about your family or a life now. Because I know um, you, you took a while to have a family, right? Yes. You know, we talk about uh, my daughter's four and a half now, but my wife and I tried for a very long time to have children, even with medical assistance. Right. And so I talk a lot about that. And that's one of that's one of uh, I have found not just from the laughs that I get from that material, because it, it's it's a funny topic. It right. can be a funny topic because funny things happened. But. What to me is the most rewarding part of that is having people after shows who have experienced the same things. They they probably know that what I'm talking about is true. They never question that because right. I talk about things that you'd have to be in the situation. You'd have to, to be it. in it to know. And I've had so many couples so many people come up to me after shows and say we went through the same things 
you know, hopefully it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But regardless, hearing somebody talk about that, because people don't talk about it a lot, hearing somebody talking about it in a positive manner, a funny manner, it was really cool to hear that. I had somebody in Dayton come to me and I've been going to the Dayton Funny Bone for years and guy came up to me and said, this is my fourth time seeing you. And I come back every time because I know when you're going to do that material, it's going to make me feel better about the situation me and my wife have gone through. I think that's just an incredibly rewarding experience. One of the great things about comedy and also one of the great things about having comedy that's real. Right. When you're talking about real things, other people can relate to that because we went through that too. People who didn't relate to it, they're laughing because it's hilarious. But you reach those pockets who went through the same things, had the same experiences, and, and then it works on just a level beyond, yeah, this is funny. It's like you're making a real connection with people. And, and that's, to me, one of, the, one of the best parts about comedy and one of the best parts about doing real comedy. Yeah, and it's weird. I think that comes with time, too. Like That would even be on your mental radar in the first five years you were doing comedy. No, you just want to get a laugh. You want to get a laugh, get off the stage, and... and you know, yeah. job well done. And you probably do create, I mean, thinking back to some of my early bits, there was nothing real about my first five years of comedy. No. I was talking about Gumby and I mean, stuff like, <laughs> I had no, like, you know, I just had these weird jokes, man. And, uh, and, but now there's like very little that's, that's not based in a big nugget of truth. Absolutely. A majority of the bit is in truth. I mean, obviously, obviously you can embellish for comedic effect absolutely but it comes from a real place and a real center yeah you're absolutely right you know you have those first you know five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes whatever you're writing it's like oh i think they'll think this is funny and then you kind of change that perspective to well this is who i am this is funny to me right i think you'll find it because it's real because of who i am because of you know, you hear the phrase, you know, point of view mm-hmm. or your, your character develops or however you do it. And then it comes from, well, I think this, they'll think it's funny. You think about the audience and, oh, th- this is something that they'll find funny. And then it comes to, it, it becomes more, it, it, it's more about you and you being the center of it and that it emanates from what it is you do. And that's when you, that's how you write eventually. Right. Yeah, it starts now. Back in the day, it started when I first started. It was, I wonder if they're going to think this is funny. Or I've seen other comedians talk about this subject. That's a safe subject to do comedy on because they're already laughing. Right. And I think a lot of people start that way. But now all the jokes with me start with what's real and how do I make that funny? Yes. And so whatever, you know, the best thing I can say to That was a much better way to put it than me (laughs) because I'm over here trying to think (laughs) of the exact words. I'm like, yeah, Rick just pretty much nailed what I was trying to say in 45 seconds and 10 seconds. So, Well, well, it's funny. Like, I I just noticed myself, I've totally reversed the way I approach comedy. Because it used to be, what does the crowd already laugh at? I'm going to write a joke on that topic. I know it's funny. There's no risk at all involved. Right. And now it's, oh, this is a real thing that really happened to me. It's kind of dark. How do I lighten that up for my audience and how do I make it silly? Absolutely. And so it's completely the opposite. But I think I had to go through the door this way to get to it now and go backwards. I don't think you could start the other way. I think think a really gifted person could. Maybe, yeah. like, But you would find, you're probably getting ready to say this, you probably get frustrated when people didn't laugh at what was real because you didn't know how to tell it as a comedian yet. I've always kind of likened creating and developing your point of view to zen almost because when you're new, you're just throwing everything against the wall. 
everything against the wall to see what sticks. Again, it's like what is going to make them laugh? Right. And you're just throwing it against the wall. And then some stuff sticks. And then you keep going and more stuff sticks. And then you just kind of naturally, innately walk down the hallway, the pattern the of what hallway. sticks. Yeah. Yes, you walk <laughs> down that. And then you learn to be funny. And you learn to be funny first and then as you're learning to be funny, you're developing as you move down that path, you develop your point of view and you develop the ability to write from within as opposed to be having an outward focus. Yeah. Well, people first start, they kind of step into the skin of their favorite comics. Absolutely. Or they think they do. Like, like I wanted to be like Steve Martin. I wanted to be Brian Regan. Well, neither of us accomplished that. No. <laughs> 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 For one, those two guys are still alive, so we didn't take their. <laughs> oh no, but <laughs> we're performing on just a slightly different level. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it influenced the way I would tell a joke when I first Me started, too. and even wrote it, write a joke. Even though at the beginning I didn't know what I was doing, I would I would write it in the style of Steve Martin or the style of uh, Bill Cosby, or right. you know, just what I grew up listening to. And Norm MacDonald and Brian Regan were very big for me when I was first starting That's out. crazy. I would never... It would take me 20 years to guess Norm MacDonald for you. Just because I, when he was on uh, hosting the, the Saturday Night News mm -hmm. weekend update on Saturday Night Live, I thought he was absolutely the funniest person in the world. Now, I, I always had like a, a high energy, especially at the beginning, high energy approach. Again, that's part of the, you know... Brian Regan influence right. that I had from the very, very beginning. But you do a high kick? <laughs> you still do the high kick? The high kick Are you physically able? completely organic. Uh -huh. I don't it, it's completely organic. I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> but um, you know, but I loved the just kind of the the humor that Norm McDonald would do. So I'd occasionally try to work in in a high energy setting some of the deadpan right. type of things Norm McDonald would do. Wasn't a very successful combination. You know what? That, and that's a good point because a lot of times you are sampling from these different styles, but right. you don't realize that you know, Norm McDonald is Norm McDonald because his entire show is Norm McDonald. Yes, and he's yes. not trying to be Brian Regan for ten seconds. Then and back. then Norm McDonald. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it, I've you know being in this for a long time, you see the waves. You know, there was the wave where everyone wanted to be Dane Cook. There was the wave where there were a lot of people who tried to be Mitch Hedberg. You're young, man. There. <laughs> when I started, everybody wanted to be Henny Youngman. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back a few years before, and then I will pick up where you're. When I first started, everybody was trying to be Andrew Dice Clay, sure, or Jeff Foxworthy, right? And then, then it kind of came into the to where you're at. So yeah. I had a few years in front of you, but yeah, <laughs> any yeah. young man, maybe Milton Burl, <laughs> Bill Hicks. There were a lot of people trying to be Bill Hicks. Actually, when I there was... were here in Columbus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can remember the faces. I can't remember the names of two or three guys who. We would be writing and, and bouncing jokes off each other, and like, I don't think Hicks would do this, so I'm not going to do it. I'm like, Hicks isn't doing any jokes now. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. That's always my number one, some of my biggest advice for comedians. Don't pigeonhole yourself when you're just starting. Because if you're just starting, you have no idea what comedian you might end up being. So if you 
just put on these blinders with a narrow focus of this is who I am and this is who I have to be, you're not letting yourself evolve. So just, I, when I did so many different things on stage when I was new, I mean, I tried so many different types of jokes, goofy jokes, dirty jokes, clean jokes, high energy jokes, deadpan jokes, mm -hmm. impressions, songs. I tried so many things because that's I, I, I didn't know exactly who I was on stage yet. Eventually I found out, but I wouldn't have found out if I didn't do all those things at the beginning. And we would not have the five non-blondes closure. <laughs> no, no. It was so good had you not <laughs> said, I'm going to try this out. Exactly. It's one of my favorite. Thank you. You really nailed that. I don't want to... I'm going to link to that. Do you have that up online somewhere? I, I've got uh, I've got an Ohio State parody version online. Okay. I did a I did a version of that for an Ohio State Michigan charity event a couple of few years ago, and uh, it kind of picked up a lot of steam. Got picked up by the, some some of the television stations uh -huh. around here, and kind of went viral as much as something locally based can yeah. go viral. So yeah, it, on my website there is a. It made it to Obets. <laughs> <laughs> almost to Circleville. Almost, almost to Circleville. Almost. But yeah, it's so you can find that on, on my website. Yeah, I'll link to that. Yeah, but awesome. That, and that was, I mean, people who haven't seen you maybe don't know what we're talking about, but you would just literally sing word for word. It wasn't even a parody, right? The five No, I would song. sing. I, I, what's going on? What's going one? on? What's up by the four non-blondes? And that was my big closer for a long time. I still do it from time to time. I would, yeah. Not as much, especially because I'm, you know, depending on the slot, I'm I'm trying to work on a, as much new material as I can and really polish up all that stuff. So sometimes a, a bit like that can take four or five minutes. Right, yeah. So, you know, it, it depends on how loose my time constraints are. Mm -hmm. I used to do that song in karaoke competitions oh, okay. before I ever did comedy. And I would... I would win. And then you split the 50 bucks. And I know. No, I, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so strong though, man. It's so strong. And, um, and you know, some of the things you get to, you get a little, sometimes people look down on that. That's not real comedy. And they'll look at, if you've got something music, you got something else in your act, that's not real comedy. And if somebody tells you it's cheating, don't, 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 don't yeah. listen to that and drop it because one guy in the back of the room doesn't approve yeah, whenever a comic would tell me, hey, I don't like you doing that or whatever, I'm going, that's cool. Here's my introduction. Stick to your time. Make sure you bring me up. <laughs> that's usually the person. <laughs> usually the people who speak up have less going on. Well, yeah. Because it, it, somebody's, got, somebody's been doing it longer and they're more comfortable and confident, they'll let you do your own thing. I appreciate people who bring extra things to the table. I, It's a surprise. It's a surprise and it's... You know, it's just in this, in our current society, with so many distractions, not just at your table, at the time the t distraction used to be table talk. Now with smartphones, every, every, the distraction is not just your table, it's the entire world is now their distraction in the palm of their hands. Yeah, we missed the days of table talk. Yes, table talk was easy, because <laughs> that was the only distraction. Now it's like, well, what's going on on my social media? What's going on in the news? So I think it, you, the, it's harder sometimes. What do you do to combat that, like when you're on stage? and Because 
in a corporate setting, sometimes they've got their laptops with them. Oh, yeah. With, you know, and that's pr- primarily what I do. But, but when you're in a comedy club and you get people looking at the phone, you just got to keep on moving and just not, not draw attention to it unless they're in the front distracting everybody else. What's your approach? You know, if they're in the front, I will draw attention to it. And I'll, I'll basically just say something like that they were tweeting my last joke, um, you know, how hilarious it was or something, hashtag whatever, just something referencing. Hashtag put the phone down. No, ha- hashtag <laughs> usually just, I never am that blunt about it. Right. I'm like, oh man, yeah, what I just said was so funny. They're tweeting it right now. Look, hashtag, and then some hashtag related to the punchline from the last joke. Uh-huh. Or the setup of the last joke. And that usually for me is able to get them to stop because I'm not saying anything overt or or confrontational, right. but nobody likes being the center of attention like that. So usually that's enough for me. Usually there's always an exception to the rule, but usually that's enough for me to get them. I try to not be too aggressive or confrontational right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got somebody who's disruptive or, or, doing something like that you can really hurt yourself for that show if you go at them too aggressively too soon yeah go after them in a way that hey i'm acknowledging this i'm gonna do what i can to to draw a people's attention to this and hopefully this is enough for you to stop moving forward if it escalates on their end from there then you can become more aggressive because this is one thing I and I was just talking about this with some comics based here in Columbus. When you take the stage as a comedian, the people there are on your side. They have taken, you know, if it's a corporate show, their corporation has paid for you to be there. If they're at a club or a country club or what have you, they have either bought a ticket maybe paid for sitters. This could be their night out for the month, for the quarter, for a half a year. And they are there with the belief that this is worth my money and time, both limited resources, to come to this show. So they believe in you. They believe that this is worth it, that you are good enough. They are on your side. So when you go after somebody, they are on your side. They are not on the side. The crowd is not on the side of the person disrupting the show. However, you can lose that crowd by going too over the top. You can also lose the crowd by not addressing it soon enough. Because if you've got somebody disruptive and you ignore them for four or five minutes and they're still disruptive, the crowd is going to believe The crowd is going to believe that you can't handle it. They want to believe that you can handle it, so they're going to give you the benefit of the the doubt when you first approach, when you first address that disruptive member in the crowd. If you don't handle it, if you don't do it, they're going to believe you can't handle it Mm -hmm. eventually. So you've got to find that perfect time of, I'm addressing them at the right moment, I'm addressing them at the right tone. Otherwise, you could lose the crowd. Yeah, I, I have the I call it my triple A approach. Is that I address it like you say, let them know that I know that something's going on. Right. Here. Then I ask that it stop, and then I attack. Yeah. If you start at if you start with the attack, yes, and it doesn't work, you've got nowhere else to go anyway. You got nowhere else to go, and the crowd's gonna think, "What a jerk!" Yeah. But if you, you know, address was... it, they're like they understand the problem, and if you ask them to stop, then they're like, "Come on, the guy's being nice on stage, just stop." And then if then you're they give you the green light for whatever after that. When somebody yells out, what I, I usually have a pretty silly insult that I'll call them something like that. I'll reference something to something I just said 
call them a silly insult that is just kind of a fun insult. It's not too over the top. It's fun. It's funny. It's a funny sounding word, and right. it kind of gets everyone. It's a. It's a. It kind of gets everyone you know, with the understanding that, hey, this person's disrupting, they're yelling out, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not so upset about it that I'm really attacking somebody. I'm addressing it in a silly, fun manner. Right. If it goes beyond that, well, then the gloves come off. I had a, uh, I had a, um, I had a show at the Newport Funny Bone near Cincinnati, right mm -hmm. south of Cincinnati there in, in Newport, Kentucky. And there was a guy who was, yelling out being disruptive and you know usually the first time you address it usually and i know people are sometimes scared to address it but usually the first time you address it i'd say 90 95 percent of the time that stops it right that stops it because they are not going to want they're going to realize that you've got the microphone you're the professional the audience is on your side they're not going to win so that usually sh shuts them down what what sometimes doesn't shut them down what fat which which is a variable in the equation is the amount of alcohol consumed yes so this fella i he was just disruptive to the point of you know every uh, your triple a approach we were on like the eighth day <laughs> yeah. and he's still going and and finally he just like the audience you, you get to the point where you just you start laying in mm -hmm. and then the audience is going crazy because they don't want the show disrupted. This is, they paid money to see right. you. They spent their, you know, all their time to they see took you. some dog food money out of the jar. Exactly. So, you know, and then he came out afterwards and, and apologized. And I said, you know what? I will accept your apology if you buy everyone sitting at the bar right now a drink. And he did. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite stories of dealing with the heckler. You did good by the club. You I did, did by good the good by club. The I did good by everybody. Because that's the thing. I'll find this too that um, it's weird. When you're a comedian, I find the two things you get asked about the most are how do you deal with hecklers? And then what do you do when a show goes bad? Which is just the weirdest thing you, you would ask. Because you wouldn't ask like a mechanic, what do you do when a car blows up? I mean, right. how, that happens a lot, right? You work on cars and they blow up. What do you do about that? Accountants, what do you do when the math doesn't add up? Because that happens a lot, right? Don't forget to carry the one. <laughs> yeah. like, so well, tell, tell my listeners that we have a lot of new, brand new comics. Excellent. All the way up to, I mean, all kinds of comics. But what's your approach when the show's not going the right way? Okay, well, first of all, I say now, because being in the game as long as you and I have been in the game, it is a very rare experience when a show does not go well. Right. I'm a professional. This is what I do. You're a professional. This is what you do. If we had a, if shows didn't go well for us on a fairly regular <laughs> basis, we would not work. That's right. We'd only have the podcast. We'd only have the podcast. <laughs> and I don't say that to toot my own horn or to toot your own horn. It's just a fact. If you see professional comedians out there getting regular work, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's anybody, they're getting work because they're good at what they do and they don't have shows that regularly go bad. Right. That being said, when I was getting started, I had shows that didn't go well a lot of the time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a majority, some would say. There was a Sometimes 80% of in a year. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of shows that didn't go well. I, I you know, and and you know how I would address it is at the time 
plow through. Mm -hmm. You plow through. You know, you got a job to do. You get your job done. It's almost, I liken it almost to playing cornerback in football. Not quarterback, but cornerback. I don't know how well I enunciated, so I wanted to make sure. Yeah, on yeah. the defensive side yes. of the ball. You're going to get burned. You're on an island. You're on an island. You're going to get burned, but you got to line back up and face that wide receiver the very next play. And if you are thinking about, oh, I just got burned, then you're going to get nervous. You just got to shut it out. Forget the last play. Forget the last on. play because you've got to do your job the next play. So I try to liken it like that. Now, and there's going to be situations when you're starting, especially as you're doing shows in non-traditional venues, that that things are going to be out of your control. I did a show in North Dakota where the stage was right next to a blackjack table. Right. So, I mean, what do you do? Right. You know, uh, there's going to be things where it's out of your control and you just plow forward and do the best you can. Now, I think the most important thing for me at this stage for me is how to read an audience. Cause people are like, they ask me a lot of the time. Oh, so you probably change up material a lot based on the audience you see. No, I don't. Uh, the material I do is funny. And I think it's funny to a lot of different audiences, what I will do is change the way I deliver that material to an extent based on how I'm feeling the crowd is, reading the crowd either from seeing the comedians before me or from my first few minutes, I will see whether this is a crowd that wants you to go after them, whether they want you to be a little more high energy, a little more up-tempo, whether they want you to be a little more up-tempo. Sometimes if you go after a crowd too aggressively, too high energy off the bat, they're gonna be like freaked out, like what's what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So how do you, do you slow down? If the crowd's rowdy and you've got pregnant pauses, you fill those pregnant pauses yourself. You don't let those pregnant pauses linger. You go a little bit quicker at this stage. My favorite shows are the ones where you go up and the audience is like, we don't like you. We're making it a snap judgment. Or even if we don't like you, we don't care. Or we don't want to be here. We don't want to be here. We don't care. And you've read that room. And then about, you know, five minutes in, they've turned. Yeah. About 15 minutes in, you're killing. And at the end of your set, they had an amazing time and they're going nuts. That to me is a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding than a show that's so hot from the very beginning. You take the stage, you could read the phone book, they're going crazy. You got to win that crowd over and you win them over by reading them. You're reading, how am I going to approach this particular group that's only assembled one time mm -hmm. in history? Yeah, it's almost like a salesperson's approach. Like... If I was going to go buy a car from Dan Swart out, he would take a few seconds to kind of let me talk and kind of figure out where I'm at in the process. Right. And then meet me where I'm at in that process. If I was a salesman, I would find out what your needs and desires are, and I would try to meet them. But I'm not changing the product. If you're coming to buy a car from me, right. I'm like, oh, well, hey. I got a bicycle. <laughs> you may have seen it on American Pickers. They pulled it out of a barn in Hope, Arkansas. It's a great bike. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> For me, probably the most important thing to convey to newer comics the ability to read a crowd sometimes you know you, you're just going to look at the approach of the people that are in front of you see what's working what's not working what this particular crowd is for and just kind of adjust yourself on the fly yeah and, and this is something i wanted to talk about as well because i i still host a lot at my local club i think a lot of new comedians try to blow past the host spot. The host is like, I think you used the term speed bump a little earlier. A ho being an MC is a speed bump in my comedy career. And the faster I can get through it, 
to middling to closing, the better it's going to be. I find that for me to be a little bit of mistaken thinking because honestly, I have had a tremendous amount of opportunities that have come to me through my skills as a host and the skills I developed as a host, hosting other events, hosting shows. Just uh, There's a lot of opportunities that come your way. I have been the studio audience host for our local Ohio Lottery game show here crowd warm-up, that kind of stuff. I want to talk about that. So it's the, the big lottery Yeah, show. the Ohio Lottery Game Show Cash Explosion. We've had it here. We're the last one. They used to be all over the country. They used to be all over the country. Um, we're the last weekly, regular game show that a lottery does. And I've it's, it's taped here in Columbus. So for about 10 years now, I have been audience warm-up. And how many days a week is that? I've always wondered the... We tape, every- we tape for weekly, but we generally tape two on Tuesday, two on Wednesday. Great, because those aren't really big comedy working days anyway. So you're not apt to be on the road as it is. And so I've been doing that for 10 years and it's been tremendous for me. Um, And I was able to do as well as I do at that from the skills I learned as a host, from the skills I learned as an MC. You're only up for 10 or 15 minutes, but you're the introduction to the show. You're the place setter. You're setting the tone. You're the face of the club. You're the face of the club. Or the event, yeah. And and if you've set the table well, and you're taking those skills, there the opportunities that you can earn from the skills you learn as a host are tremendous. Yeah. And honestly, if you ask every club manager right now what they what they would prefer to have that they don't have is probably a strong host every show. There's enough headliners. Oh, more than enough. There's 7,000 more times middle middle acts out there. So many. But a host that can go up and set the tone, and not only comedically, but a well-hosted show, there won't be heckling because the MC has set the ground rules very strictly, but in a fun way up front. I, when I tend to host, and I host a lot, I will do you know the announcements, the birthdays, the anniversaries, so that I'm doing crowd work, but there is always an abrupt shift. So when I'm done with that, I'm straight into material, and I do it quickly, tend to do very high laughs per minute, very short setups, and get them right into it, so that when I hand the show over to the feature, the crowd is in that mode of, this is funny, there's a lot of laughs, and it's time for us to to listen to these comedians and not interact. That's a great point too. You know, the, the comments that go up. If you only did crowd work for fifteen minutes, you're you bring out the feature right. The crowd still thinks they can talk. They still but, think they're talking. But making that transition, you set the table for comedy and for setup punch. Absolutely. And so the next comic steps right into where they need to be. Absolutely. And a lot of comics, I don't. You know, well, early on, sometimes you don't even know to think about that. Sure. But it's so important and a good tip to to pass along. Do you have um? Do you have any mental things you do before you hit the stage to get fired up and focused? I don't really ask this question much, but I'm going to start asking it almost in every episode because I like to kind of know what your pre-show. Let's let's say 30 minutes before you leave the house, even right if you're at home or the hotel. What what's your normal preferred modus operandi? You know, I tr- I I like to get. I'm a person that just generally speaking, I like to be on time. So I tend to leave early, mm-hmm. give myself plenty of room. That way I don't have to worry about it. You know, 
there might be a traffic jam, there might be an accident, and you miss your gig, and I don't want that. Right. So I tend to leave with plenty of time, so I don't have to worry about that, and that stress never comes into play. I'll get there, and I'll just kind of generally, just kind of hang out. I don't. There's no real. There's no real. Uh, Tony Robbins moment behind no, the stage no, where you tell no. me I can do this. I know. <laughs> You're pretty much ready to go. Yeah, I've been doing this long enough that it's just another thing. Right. Absolutely. That's that's good, man. I don't have a pre-show ritual. I was, I'm just seeing if I could pick one up. See, there isn't. I mean, you know, a pre-show ritual for me, you know, it depends. Like if it's a Sunday. Yeah. If it's a Sunday, my pre-show ritual is watching the football games yeah. before I go on stage. Yeah. No, I have some things that I like to do, but um, but I'm always interested. You know, some comics have a very strict. No. I have a, I kind of back it down like you do. Like I want to make sure I leave plenty of time yes. to get there so the stress doesn't come in. And sometimes I feel, even when I'm, at, especially when I'm at home in Nashville, I'm like, I'd really like to stay around an extra hour and play with my kids or do right. this. But I know if I do that, it sets me up for a potential traffic jam, a potential flat tire. There's a million things a that can happen. A million things. Or and sometimes just getting to the venue if you're doing a corporate event and finding where they are within the venue sometimes. like Parking. Parking. Sometimes you have to park at a garage that's far away, or yeah, you have yeah. to find some sort of parking. Yeah, and you can troubleshoot a lot of that ahead of time, but still, there's stuff that will just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, any uh, new CDs, DVDs, anything you got going on? You know, my my CD uh, released uh, in 2013. Uh, that thing got on the iTunes list. It did. It was. It went up. It went top 40. I was in studio that day with Cash Explosion, so I didn't get to chart it. All the way. I know it went as high as 34, and I've been very, very lucky that uh, Sirius XM Comedy seems to enjoy my CD a lot. I got a lot of plays last year, and yeah. that was it's 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 phenomenal because it opens up my comedy to people who may have never seen me or heard me before. And it's great when you get somebody who sends you an email right. or finds you online in social media and says. Hey, I just heard you on Sirius XM. I, I loved it, so I'm I'm checking in with you to tell you how much I enjoyed what I heard. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm now following you. And when you are in town, I would love to see you. Let me ask you this: uh, in a corporate setting, I, sometimes I sell stuff, sometimes I don't. You can kind of get the vibe when you walk in, or even talking to them before the event. If it's going to be one of those where you want to set up shop, right, or not. Um, but in the in the club setting, when you're out there. Any trends you've noticed, uh, spending behaviors? You know, I don't think, I don't think people in general buy merch quite like they did before the recession. Mm-hmm. I don't think that has recovered yet to pre-recession levels. It's not bad, you know. It's not, it, but it's just not cro- quite where it was. T-shirts are are still, I think, your primary money-driving merchandise. T-shirts are what is going to get you the most in merchandise sales. You can use CDs and other items, I find, as a incentive almost. Yeah, buy a T-shirt for 15 and you get a T-shirt and CD for 20. Exactly. And that works. And and what – this – okay, this is a thing – that I have noticed as trends. Because I think people talked about t-shirts a lot and people understand that, you know, and, and especially if you're in that middle spot, you know, having successful merchandise can make a tremendous amount of difference. It's not the most fun thing in the world to sit there with your merchandise right. and sell. It's not why you got into comedy. Right. But 
I would always say, I've got a mortgage. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that's, that's a thing. These, these t-shirts go to, to a, help a needy family eat mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a trend I've noticed a lot lately. So you, the, the original question was about trends. And, and I've, I've started doing this as well. Selling your CDs or DVDs for whatever someone is willing to pay. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that as like, this is my CD. I'm proud of it. And I've, you know, it was on the iTunes charts and it gets played on Sirius XM and I've got copies of it. And if you'd like to buy a copy, you can pay me whatever you want for it. And, you know, sometimes you'll get people come up and give you a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. Sometimes you'll have somebody give you 40 bucks, yeah, 50 bucks, because nobody wants a high pressure sales pitch. And also too, like as a person in the crowd, you don't walk up and find out Oh, I want to buy this, but I didn't have enough money. Like I right. see that look on people's faces where they're yes. kind of just looking at it, and you know, you can just tell they don't—they don't have maybe fifteen bucks to spend, but they got five, and they want to support you. You know, one thing I've been doing too is I try to throw in some deals because I think my shirt works well if couples buy them, mm-hmm. and if both couples want them, it could spur them. Because cost is always a factor in everything. You know, if if you love a T-shirt. You love it. You have to have it. Right. If it's 50 bucks as opposed to 10 bucks, you're going to sell a lot less. So, I, you know, I always try to work in cost into that. I, you know, I think that's a good thing. The more they buy, the better the deal it is. And and sometimes if somebody's buying like three shirts, you just throw in the CD. Right. You know, I tend to give a CD to somebody. And this is, this is something I do at corporate shows as well. Because, you know, the physical cost of a CD is not great. But, you know, the goodwill that can be generated by that CD can far surpass that physical cost. The person I have the most fun crowd work with, as a surprise, at the end, I'll always give them a copy of my CD from the stage. People love it. They go nuts. You know, it engenders goodwill, and it's not a tremendous expense. Yeah, and and whether you realize it or not, subliminally, you're showing them how to be generous. Yes. I didn't know. I never even thought about that. Yeah, anytime you get something from the stage like that, you're showing them, teaching them how to be generous. Whoa, I never even thought about that. They're more likely to to pay that back because they just saw an example of how that works. I am learning from this podcast. (laughs) I never even thought about that. Let's put it into that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I got to wrap up here. Let people know where they can find you at. I know you're very active on Facebook and you you take on fans there. Facebook, uh, Swarty, facebook.com backslash Swarty, S-W-A-R-T-Y, Swarty.com, S-W-A-R-T-Y.com. And that's got links to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter's at Swarty Comedy, Instagram's Dan Swarty. Yeah, I try to LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, uh, you know, it's... it. it I, Some comic has a great joke. I can't remember the name of the comic. Like, LinkedIn is like the gym of social media. <laughs> like you have a membership, but you never really go in there and do anything. <laughs> and I wish I could remember who said that, That's but it's funny. A, such a funny joke. So, yeah, you know, uh, try to stay pretty active on social media. I'm sure you've touched on this on, on your show, how important social media is in this current environment of comedy being engaging in social media having content that people would are interested in seeing so i mean we don't need to get into that because that's been gotten into a thousand times before but that's that's one of the biggest differences from when i started yeah that's good stuff man well i appreciate you taking some time to thank you hang with me they good catching up and uh, let's go win an open mic and split the money (laughs) that's a true story and it's one of my favorites thanks again thank you rick 
there you go. There's the interview with Dan Swartout. As you can tell, Swarty is a smart guy, a thoughtful guy, and provided, I thought, a lot of great tips for not only you guys, but I learned a couple things from Dan as well. Check him out at Swarty.com. He listed some social media links. I'll put those in the show notes so you can just click on over and friend him, like him, follow him on Pinterest and whatever else he's doing out there and get to know him a little bit better. Also, I just wanted to remind you, don't forget, the business class is coming up March 20th, 1 to 4 p.m. If you want more information on that, check out schooloflast.com and check out the classes section, or just shoot me an email. I'll be happy to give you a phone call and talk to you all about it. And April 9th, come out and see me at the Simmons Winery in Columbus, Indiana. It's going to be a good time, a clean show that you can bring anybody to. So do that, come out early, have a dinner, and we'll kick back and have some fun. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money. Stay money.